0: And welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre on November the 16th, 2011, for No Pressure To Be Funny, created by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel, and podcasting on the British Comedy Guide. And now, despite requests from The Jungle to replace Freddie, from The X Factor to replace Frankie, and from Strictly to replace Nancy, we've managed to hold on to him. Please welcome your host, Mr. James O'Brien. <laughs>
1: Thank you very much, good evening, and welcome once again to the season finale of No Pressure to be Funny, the topical panel show that has done to Silvio Berlusconi jokes what Lady Gaga has done to meat dresses. worn them out. Uh, in Australia this week, David Cameron tried to do an impression of the Prime Minister and made a prick of himself much the same as when he tries to do it over here. (laughs) At the Lord Mayor's banquet in the City of London on Monday night, he described the EU as out of touch. An Eton and Oxford-educated, hereditary millionaire wearing a white tie and dinner jacket addressing a medieval secret society was criticising the EU for being out of touch. (laughs) The man expected to be the next Prime Minister of Spain, Mariano Rajoy, caused panic on the financial markets this week when he said... I honour my commitment. Until now, I have committed myself to nothing. <laughs> you can understand the panic. That is the sound of a politician telling the truth. <laughs> Thank you very much. <clears throat> Mr Paul Thorne.
2: This is a song I wrote for Rebecca Brooks, the um, ex-editor of the uh, news. I know, I know, she's hit on hard times. She's now been forced to uh, trawl the cabaret circuit, trying to make a living, scrape a living, in fact, as a Mick Hucknall uh, lookalike. <laughs> um, um, that's not easy for anyone, um, especially Mick Hucknall. <laughs> so, basically, I thought I'd write this song to try and get her through these, these difficult times.
3: It even fades in. It's beautiful. It's for Rebecca.
2: Seems like everybody has a price And I don't know how you sleep at night When the sale comes first and the truth comes second Now where's your self-satisfied smile You thought that you were invincible Don't pretend that you ever had principles It was all low blows and voicemail hoes And now you're in your own headlines And there's politicians to the left and there's politicians to the right And they're all queuing up to play Knock Down Ginger tonight Cos you did it for the money, money, money It was all about the money, money, money You didn't do it for our boys in Afghan You didn't do it for Madeline McCann And you were playing the anti-pedophile card While you were grooming half of Scotland Yard Now, appropriately, you're the biggest tit on page three mm. it will be just a tonic, tonic, tonic And just a little bit ironic, ronic, ronic If when you call your lawyer from the jail All you get is his voicemail <laughs> And when Murdoch leaves you out to hang And you hear those prison doors ka-clang, ka-clang And you're surrounded by big butch lesbians In some non-consensual bang <laughs> Remember the money, money, money <laughs> That you did it for the money, money, money. Editing a sordid little rag came with a prize tag.
3: Thank you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Paul Thorne. Oh, brilliant. Uh joining Paul on the panel this evening is a journalist and author whose book Ed The Milibands and The Making of a Labour Leader, narrowly missed out on last year's Booker Prize, uh, when it became clear that it was a work of non-fiction. Please welcome the New Statesman's senior politics editor, Mehdi Hassan. (laughs) Our next guest is a a comedian and actress making a welcome return to No Pressure to be Funny after an absence of two whole weeks. (laughs) Tiffany Stevenson. Uh, our final guest this evening rejoices in the title of the German comedy ambassador. Surprisingly this is another non-fiction title and perhaps proof that the Germans do have a sense of humor after all despite Angela Merkel's best efforts recently to prove otherwise. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Henning Venn. Alistair Barry will now, for your delectation, propose the motion that senior News International uh, executives could not possibly, possibly, under any stretch of the imagination, have known about the phone hacking that was going on under their very noses. Ladies and gentlemen, Alistair Barry.
0: Thank you very much. The Devil's Advocate, which, as James says, is where we take a slightly uh, different position. The Devil's Advocate this week believes News International knew nothing about phone hacking. Well, personally, I think we should kick things off by looking at my record for veracity. No sooner had I defended Home Secretary and actual Conservative woman, Theresa May, on last week's show than she broke out a spectacular number of tweed jackets, cunningly fashioned into one massive eyesore of a tweed jacket, which she rocked to work yesterday and promptly held on to her job by the simple expedient of refusing to entertain anything one of her senior civil servants said as pretty much the only woman in the Cabinet, with Cameron above and Brodie Clark below, it is tempting to posit that she is the only one in government that is surrounded by complete cocks on a number of levels. (laughs) But that is the kind of weak, innuendo-laden pun that I could not possibly write, and just because it appeared on my computer this afternoon does not mean it had anything to do with me and I did not (laughs) authorise it in any way. I merely sanctioned the release of The Devil's Advocate and am in no way responsible for its contents or the behaviour of any of the people in tonight's show, which may or may not have been written by me with or without my full permission. Now that we've cleared that up with a truly plausible denial to use the mot du jour, which is a French phrase I can't possibly be expected to know the meaning of, We must move on to another unfairly chastised public figure, and I'm not talking about Max Mosley here. No, I speak of Junior Rupert and massive ignoramus James Murdoch. Now, some might consider this a criticism, but I feel it is in fact a compliment to the integrity of a man who let the doyen of tabloid good practice and integrity, Rebecca Brooks, fall on her sword in his stead. Let me say, incidentally, that I am appalled at Paul Thorne's cruel mockery of this abiding moralist. Let us not forget, she was once taken into custody for punching Ross Kemp, something I think we could all agree we felt like doing on occasion. (laughs) James was, like many of our best business brains, exercising what is known as EI, or Enormous Executive Intelligence, when he allowed News International to pay Gordon Taylor of the PFA £700,000 on the understanding that someone had stood near him in a pub when his phone rang, thus infringing his privacy and making him a worthy recipient of Murdoch cash. I know if I overheard something somewhere, I'd expect to receive a bill from that person almost immediately afterwards with no questions asked. Unfortunately, there we do find a problem. Had some questions been asked, James might have discovered that the problem ran a little deeper. Had he had his ears syringed and worn his good glasses when his executives Tom Crone and Colin Myler made a big sign in Burning Coal saying, we are hacking the phones of murdered children that they rigged up to a PA above whopping, then he would be guilty of a terrible and indeed criminal abdication of his duties. However all he is really guilty of is a lack of inquisitiveness which is a little ironic considering how all his father's papers made their money. As a result it is now plausible that Rupert's son may go down on him which of course contains certain appallingly bad pun possibilities that have nothing to do with me and oh look I've run out of paper which is exactly how these things happen.
1: <laughs> David Cameron made his speech at the Guildhall this week. He he had a go at Europe for being out of touch, uh, sort of clumsily knitting together the notion of a European court case involving a mass murderer and the question of this weird Daily Mail front page today about uh, us all being—did you see it, Henning? No. We're all speaking. <laughs> Ger- we're all speaking German now. Angela Merkel said. It was one of her advisers, well, I think, r- r- right across. Well, Europe.
4: yeah, but they are all German.
1: No, no, she, all of Europe. <laughs>
4: You're being very literal this evening. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, when, when Angela Merkel speak, said, "I don't know if we're all speaking German." All I know is Germany pays for everyone. So if that means everyone speaks German, sure. I don't know. I, everyone I, pays German. No, they don't that's for to, sure. Do they?
2: They don't, everyone doesn't need to speak German. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of, if you if you want it to be really kind of. Uh, so I suppose Germany still still controls most of Europe but now they don't do it with tanks they what do you do mean with, by they steel they do it with backs you know, they do it by backs transfers to yeah. to different go- but I love that kind of typical middle English scepticism about the, Ge- oh, the Germans and the Greeks the Germans and the Greeks in bed together that's disgusting that's the basis of our royal family if you think
4: <laughs>
3: <that>.
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's a strange one isn't it that worry about in Britain about oh we shouldn't be part of Europe like last general election when they had the TV debates the first question was where someone said, uh, oh, I don't think Britain should be in Europe. And then you think, and then David Cameron gave an answer along the lines, oh, yeah, I think probably we should be in Europe. Then you think, get a map, have a look, Britain is in Europe. There is just (laughs) nothing you can do about that. And and, and a constant worry. And I mean, why doesn't Germany leave the euro? Well, for the same reason that London doesn't leave the pound sterling. Uh, despite financing everyone north of seven sisters, uh, we're, yeah,
3: uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, Germany, we we Germany.
4: We're too small individually. So, and that is why we need to united Europe. We all have to compete with China. We do need to united Europe, and it needs to speak with one voice—a German one. <laughs> 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 The Germans really are paying for everything, are they? We're paying for everyone, yeah. But there
3: is do not mind. They're we do not paying The problem under- at the moment
5: is they're not paying. You're not paying for everyone. That's the problem. The problem is up until the problem at the moment. Picking your children. <laughs> the problem at the moment, of course, is that the Germans will not allow the European Central Bank to sort stuff out and act as a lender of last resort mm. and yeah. that's the problem that's why the all that, eyes are on the germans but right now. that
4: isn't really paying for anything i mean if Which you're backing I mean, if people you just are. if you just print stuff if you just print money that isn't really paying for stuff because that will come back as inflation in, in yeah, not too far the future and that, what, what do you see what doesn't work what doesn't <laughs> work is i mean the greeks they've tried everything to okay. get out the economic hole yeah. yeah they've they've even tried going on strike yeah, but turns out not working doesn't help <laughs> either. Yeah? The, uh, the only thing that helps is getting up early and getting some work done. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh,
3: oh,
4: oh. It might sound old fashioned.
2: Uh, <laughs> how? how uh, d- the problem. The problem is isn't the problem that people get suspicious because of the way <laughs> that, the, that the eurozone was created, that people get suspicious when one country be- suddenly is seen to be more wealthy, more dominant with it. I mean, this whole thing, when they actually printed the euro notes, they didn't put any, any famous people for any of the countries on there because they didn't want to upset people who didn't
4: have any famous people. Belgium. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, they should <laughs> be putting on there is an alarm clock. It,
3: it,
4: what, what set, set for seven in the morning.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> Penny,
1: I'm conscious of how unfair it is to, to expect you to speak for the, the, the German nation. Oh, I'm
4: happy to do I that.
1: <laughs> how does it work in Germany? What would be the, uh, the rabble-rousing rhetoric, the attitude to the European Union that gets most people... I'm so conscious of stereotypes now. Well, year. the rebel-rousing... Well, he their just their
4: stereotyped all of Greece. waving, waving their stones stones here. Here. Yeah. Well, the rebel-rousing uh, uh, yes. part of the country would be pointing out that the Greeks go on holiday, uh, go in into uh, retirement once they hit 30.
3: Uh,
4: <laughs> and, uh, and they don't yeah, leave do the house before they're 29. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> that is essentially what... what that is, uh, that's what involved, so it boils down to. It is, a, I mean... The complaint is that
1: we are bankrolling everybody. But,
4: but don't we don't mind it because there is a good understanding of that we do need a united Europe because we're right. in a global world and it's global challenges. Please
1: join me now in, in inviting to the stage with a short assessment of the European extreme right. As I say, always good for a light-hearted chuckle. It's Nick Revel. Yay.
6: The reason I wanted to talk about it this week is because Anders Breivik is in court in Norway this week. As you know, he's the person who, in the summer, to protect Europe from being swamped by Islam, murdered 80 Nordic teenagers. He's also an anti-Semitic Zionist, so, you know, balanced. (laughs) Maybe it's because I'm not racially pure myself, but I just clearly don't have the intellectual capacity... To follow his clearly superior Aryan lines of logic, and uh, and it's the same when I look at the the Indi- English Defence League. I, I'm basically English, Portuguese, uh, Jewish, Welsh, Irish, English, but I I I I don't feel comfortable being defended by the English Defence League, and I know that's ungrateful, because uh, <laughs> you know, you, I just guess their, their their arguments go over my head, you know, because when you look at the EDL. Uh, I immediately think when I see him on TV all oh, right so that's what a master race looks like <laughs> the the shaven heads the obscenities the threatening behavior the courageous attempts to speak their own language i think look <laughs> That is racial superiority right there. But, but I must be prejudiced because they say they're a non-violent, non-racist organization opposed only to extreme interpretations of Islam. Uh, and they're very vigilant because they were trying to beat up the uh, protesters at St. Paul's last week. Uh, and clearly I had no idea that the protesters at St. Paul's wanted to institute Sharia law. But, you know, they're looking out for us. But these arguments go over my head. I look at them and I just see thugs just because they look like thugs. Yeah. Dressed like thugs, walk, talk and act like thugs. Oh, and because when I went on their website uh, to have a look, one of their new members had just given himself the internet handle, I Hate Blacks. They talk about defending the purity of the white race, which is kind of ironic because a lot of them come from Essex, where 50% of the female population is orange. <laughs> I understand why the EDL are angry. Of course I can. They've been let down by generations of poverty, lack of education, because they failed their auditions for the Jeremy Kyle show. But, but, but you see, the problem with being over strict on your concept of gene pools is that you end up breeding with your cousin. We're all the same race. Granted, that's hard to accept when you look at Jedward or David Dickinson. But. <laughs> But unless your mother fucked a donkey, you are racially pure. Of course, fascists never admit to being racist, because ironically they clearly feel a need to be politically correct. They just want everybody to go back where they came from. Well, if we did, there'd be seven billion of us living in one small valley in East Africa, and it would be very, very cramped. And the EDL would still be complaining that somebody was ahead of them on the housing list. Thank you.
3: Great stuff.
1: Uh, Paul, you, you, you have a shaved head. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think I deserve some credit for, rather than turning ra- rather than turning to heaven uh, t- to Henning and saying, hmm, talking of groups trying to take over the world, Henning, you're German. <laughs> so, and I'm Muslim, so we've got a trio of <laughs> supremacists. <you laughs> I, I'm in stereotypes. The German, Evan. the Muslim, and the
5: skinhead <laughs> That's That's you should go saying. on tour. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Can I just um, can I just say at this point that uh, despite my parents' best intentions, um, I'm not a racist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just happen to like the look.
1: <laughs> you, what's really disturbing is when you see um, y- when you listen to people's voices. I don't know if you saw that Louis Thoreau, those two girls from LA who were like Britney Spears alikes
3: yeah,
1: and and they were neo Nazis. So they they would say things like. Uh, we're going to go shopping to the mall, and then I think after that we should totally kill all the black people and Jews. Okay, then! Mm. Um, which just <laughs> sounds really odd, doesn't it? I think...
5: <laughs> I mean, what I'm saying is all racism should have a downward inflection.
1: I like that. Anybody, <laughs> we, do, we we know what,
5: do we know what Bravik sounds like? He hasn't done any... We sounds heard like nutter to me, maybe. I don't know what papers you've <laughs> <I don't laughs> <think laughs> seen. I don't think he's a scouter to <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> he did
1: uh, he he tried tried not guilty. He, tried to ad- he did plead not guilty. But admitted to killing 87 people. But he's not guilty of... Because he's a military
5: commander and a member of the Knights Templar. So Dan Brown has a lot to answer for. (laughs) You you
1: see, this is where the line between satire and and fact becomes blurred, actually, because in reading some of his manifesto, he quotes Melanie Phillips, so it's perfectly (laughs) plausible at some length. Oh, my God. At some length. Uh, so it's perfectly plausible that, that Dan Brown might have been part of his intellectual It's very framework. funny because I,
5: I wrote a piece recently uh, pointing out that a lot of right-wingers, our, our own right-wingers here in the UK, were cited by Breivik yes. in his manifesto and they all got very upset and the standard response was, well, he also quoted Gandhi,
6: yes.
5: but when you go and read it, it's to slag him off. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't really the best comeback.
1: Home Secretary and shoe fetishist Theresa May has banned the pressure group Muslims Against Crusades, who of course threatened to disrupt last week's remembrance ceremonies. Uh, Other groups, including Christians Against Lions and Witches Against Bonfires, are said (laughs) to be monitoring developments. Uh, Muslims Against Crusades, of course, uh, is thought to be a cover for the previously banned Islam for UK. This has, in turn, led to an advertising ban on phones for you. So, every cloud. Respected Italian economist Mario Monti has replaced Silvio Berlusconi as the Italian Prime Minister this week. He is affectionately known as Super Mario, which makes a lovely change from Donkey Kong, as someone must have called his predecessor. We'll uh, uh, kick on with the panel discussion and I think we'll at least turn our glare across the Atlantic where of course the Wall Street protests, Uh, have they come to a sticky end yet? I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see whether or not there's another chapter in this particular uh, story of protest but calls already in this country to see similar uh, clearances or similar evictions effected here. Uh, Paul should we be following America's lead on this do you think and getting No. No, thank you. (laughs) Would you care to expand? No
2: I thought not I don't
1: think we should follow America's lead
2: on anything anymore I think um, We should look east <laughs> Greece,
1: Yes <laughs> Backed
2: by the Germans Doing something right yeah. yeah They're making an effort The Greeks They're smashing paper plates now <laughs> Instead of crockery <laughs> Comebacks yeah.
5: Sorbonne Not the Royal Dalton
1: Do you have a A, a clear picture uh, Of what The protests here Are about
2: Yes I have It's a lot of uh, young people, a lot of students, I think, who are now uh, the, the, subservi- the, the subversive members of our, of our society, I think, are they're taken to the streets. They're trying to uh, basically protest against the banks and the financial institutions and the insurance companies and all those um, institutions, basically, who are going to end up employing them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, the middle class undergraduates but it's basically. changed
2: isn't it because our youth has got lazy you know I mean in the, in the old days we used to march you know march against <laughs> <races> and, uh, <laughs> now you just walk somewhere for a bit and then just go Should, we, op- camp, camp should we camp <laughs> occupy occupy it is, temp here? It is just, a modern protest I mean yeah. I love it let's stationary change the world protest. By stationary protest, <laughs> stationary protest. <laughs> <laughs> have a
5: little
1: nap take a bed no. occupy it's a oh, great God. God. I'd have probably been more of a student radical if I could have taken a sleeping bag with me that adds a new dimension to But it it is, I mean, what you highlight is the difficulty of nailing down a specific, easy to identify cause, Mehdi Hassan, that they are uh, representing or espousing.
5: I think it's very easy to, uh, I mean, it's a very, very simple line. It was coined actually by Joe Stiglitz, Nobel Prize winning economist. He talked about uh, for the 1%, by the 1%, of the 1%. uh, And now you have the 99% saying, look. This is not just about rich and poor anymore. This is about the super-rich versus everyone else. Uh, You look at the last 30 years. In America, for example, in the 1970s, the uh, top 1% of society controlled 13% of the nation's wealth. Mm. Today, they control 38% of the nation's wealth. Over the last 10 years, three-quarters of all US economic growth has gone to the top 1% in Mm. society. The 400 richest Americans, are worth the same as the bottom 50 percent of society it is very simple to point out what people are protesting about they're protesting about this grossly unequal society which is intolerable and causes financial crashes actually.
1: here's a question that covers a lot of territory how did tony blair end up as peace envoy for the middle east um meddy uh,
5: perhaps the worst geopolitical joke ever told that was the punchline I mean, i'm absurd yeah. that he is a peace envoy i, mean, I said at the time that sending tony blair to the middle east i mean i can't think of comparisons as how absurd it, it's like it's like sending gary Gl- glitter to be an ofsted inspector <laughs> or 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 having or having kelvin mckenzie regenerate liverpool i mean it's just i mean you can none of those are comparisons. you send tony blair you know close family friend of the Gaddafis, holiday holiday companion of Hosni Mubarak, invader of Iraq, bomber of Afghanistan, he goes to be the peace envoy, and guess what he does after he becomes peace envoy? He comes back and says, actually, we need to go to war with Iran as well. I mean, which peace envoy do you know of that spends most of his time either working for JP Morgan or agitating for another war in the Middle East? It's just absurd.
1: Have you seen that there's a big shortfall in security staff for the Olympics? you Are you aware <laughs> yeah. of it. A shortfall? A shortfall? It's far
5: too many security it,
1: it, staff. No. no, no, no. Do keep up. I heard an official on the radio um, explaining that they had been on track and really well organised with regard to the security coverage for the Olympic Games. Until they got the list of events and started factoring in the problems of crowds getting in and out of venues. And it was at this point that apparently the organising committee, (laughs) for that's what they call themselves, uh, saw everything thrown out of kilter. That's a beautiful moment. The organising committee of the Olympics thought they had everything handled. Everything's under control with security guards. They get given a list of what's happening, how many people are expected to be moving in and out of the venues, and they go, ooh, ooh. Hang on a minute, we didn't see this coming.
4: Wouldn't happen in Germany, Henning, would it? This kind of organisational snafu. Well, our track record with Olympic Games and safety and security. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, far from unblemished, so... Uh.
1: And that is actually it for this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, Henning Venn. Oh. <laughs> Mehdi Hassan. Uh, Tiffany Stevenson. Uh, and Paul Thor. This has been no pressure to be funny. I'm James O'Brien. Good night.